Greetings, friends. Welcome to Building Tradition, where designers, builders, preservation professionals, and building artisans tell their stories. History informs the future, and so will our guests. I'm your host, Pete Miller. We're talking today about design award competitions. Traditional Building Magazine produces the Palladio Awards. We have with us Brent Hall of Hall Millwork, who recently won a Palladio Award for craftsmanship, a very competitive category. Welcome, Brent. Hi, Pete. Thanks for including me. Happy to be on your show. Excited about your new podcast. I think it's great. Tell us about the timber frame window for which you won a Palladio in 2023. Well, um, we were building a, a Pennsylvania farmhouse for a client. Uh, they were from Wisconsin, so there, there's no Pennsylvania connection. She just fell in love with this 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 farmhouse that was, uh, I don't even remember what magazine it was in. Um, and uh, we started the, 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 the process of, of trying to, figure out how authentic they wanted to be. And they, they really wanted to be authentic. And so the, uh, the tradition with some Pennsylvania houses was to, instead of having a brick arch or stone arch over a window opening, they would have these timbered, timber framed windows. And um, that would support the stonework, these solid masonry walls. And so we were able to replicate that for this client, taking solid white oak timbers, uh, reconfiguring them. A lot of those early houses didn't have counterbalances in their double hung windows. Windows, the top sash would have been fixed. The bottom sash might've had a, a peg or a stick to keep it open. Um, and so, you know, especially in the early 1800s, we ended up, uh, you know, hollowing out the timbers, introducing a kind of a more traditional weight and pulley system into our double hung windows and, uh, you know, timber framed and, and mortise and tenon everything together. And so it's like building little pieces of furniture for each window, but it was uh, very rewarding and uh, ended up looking great. Well, so how did you hollow out the timber? We channeled out the middle and so from the side. And so um, if you're, you're, let's say the side jams five feet long, uh, you know, a foot from the top, we're cutting in where the weight, where the little pulleys go in. Uh, maybe six inches from the top, we hollow those out and then, you know, route and chisel out kind of the middle of the, of the beam so that the weights and pulleys can move up and down. And then we built a false jam there where that, where we'd hollowed out and that allowed us to weather strip, you know, put a weight pocket removal bar, uh, you know, door and, and, and all of that kind of fun stuff. So had you ever done this before or did you have to figure it out uniquely to this project? No, we, we had to figure it out, which is uh, typical of our, you know, how we're, our millwork thing. We're trying to get away from that. We're trying to become a little bit more production with our 100-year window. But our roots are that, you know, we can build anything out of wood. And so we have a lot of craftsmen who really geeked out and, and loved that, um, that whole process and that whole job. I mean, part of the problem was, you know, you can't really, you can't really dry you know, eight by eight timbers or six by six timbers. Um, it just, the, the, the evaporation system and the heat that they use to, to kiln dry lumber doesn't work very well on, on timbers. And so one of the challenges was we had to wait for them to dry out, twist, warp a little bit, 
and then tried to straighten them up again. But we had some some checking and, and movement in the timbers because they're so big and um, they weren't kiln dried. So that, that was probably the biggest challenge is, you know, getting them weather stripped, we getting them tight, yet also enjoying the checks and the, the, the character in the lumber. Would it have been easier to use a, a salvaged timber? Um, probably. Um, the, 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 the challenge was um, uh, availability of clear salvaged timber. Um, because a lot of them have mortise and tendons and pegs and things like that in them. And so if we need, you know, uh, a bunch of, basically we couldn't have any of that to, to have that look right. And so the amount of timber we'd had to buy in order to cull down so we could get clear pieces ended up being not worth the effort. Aye, aye, aye. So the house that this timber frame window went in is uh, what I would call a Pennsylvania stone house. The main house is clabbered actually with additions that look like they've been added over time. They're stone. I mean, you think you're in Pennsylvania, but the house is actually in Texas, right? Yes. We had, there was a good architect, um, a guy named Chris Huff, um, who was the, who kind of, you know, set the frame. I mean, he gave us a 10 page set that had elevations and um, had worked out a lot of the narrative. Um, and so we were, you know, building a house that had age and had, you know, changes over time. So there was a, an original early part of the house that had stone on the inside of the walls as well as the outside. So we were the builder as well as the millwork providers. And so we were working and crafting and building this thing in some sections, solid masonry walls, some sections, you know, more contemporary things with, you know, just stick framing um, and then and then stone cladding. And so the, the garage was meant to look like the old barn, you know, that eventually got tied into the house. And so there was the additions that were, were put on later. And so we really tried to communicate that with each of those additions and each of those changes. And so um, it was a really fun project. It was, you know, when you, when you find a client who likes that much detail, every decision becomes, you know, a, a, a stop. Let's think about it. How do we want to do it? I mean, did, did they want rope or chain for their windows? Did they want antique glass or regular glass? Did they want putty glazing or wood glazing? Did you know, all of these, the, the level of minutia, how did we want to weather strip it? Just all of that stuff. I mean, down to the hardware, to the light bulbs, to, you know, the flooring. It's just, you know, it was, there was a lot, a lot of detail. I'm recalling the story we wrote in Traditional Building about this winning project where you said you always talk to your clients about historic authenticity, but this particular client wanted to adopt all of your ideas, not just not just some of them, right down right down to the light bulbs. Now, this is the second Palladio Award you've won for craftsmanship. The first was a couple of years ago. As I recall, it was a a garden pavilion or a folly. Uh Tell me about that one. Well, that was uh, um, Boris and Sharon. Um, Those wonderful gentlemen included us in a, in a, in a outdoor folly that they wanted to have built. And so we were um, great design. We, we ended up building it in Sapili. Um, it was really a beautiful piece. And then um, they, they, they had borrowed it from historic traditions and historic uh, pattern books. 
and we were able to build it in our shop in I think four, maybe six sections. We had a we had each wall, and then we had a, a couple roof sections, and so uh, we built it disassembled it, sent it up to Chicago. And then that builder that was working on that thing ended up rebuilding it down there. So really fun project. And they were gracious to include us in that one. So we kind of, um, got, that was our first one with them. So I think, I think Bully Andrews was the builder. Boris Sharon yeah, 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 exactly. was the architect. Um, you're a builder, a home builder in Fort Worth and other places uh, in Texas. You're a millwork artisan uh you also make the 100 year window here's the question Do, have you entered any other categories at palladio other than craftsmanship no um i'm conflicted by it pete because i feel like you know the master builders who are the inspiration for me as a builder guys like you know william buckland and and uh asher benjamin and uh samuel mcintyre um those were guys that were builders and architects kind of, they were master builders. And so uh, our goal is to be a master builder. So that means we do do design from time to time. And although I'm not drawing on paper and pen, I am directing, you know, design ideas and things like that. But I also know, you know, a lot of these architects, I know how much time they put into it. And I just feel like it's stepping on their toes to try to throw a, uh, one of our projects in into that category, but I don't know, maybe I should, but, uh, well, you could do for them what Boris and Sharon did for you and just include them as the designer. Um, interestingly, most of design competition entries do come from the architects and designers. Um, sometimes they mention the builder, sometimes they don't, but, the competitions are typically open to any professional type, whether it be a builder or a craftsman or, or an architect. I think it's just important to acknowledge the collaboration that goes on yeah, with these, no, with these with great projects. Tell us about other awards you've won other than Palladio. Well, we've won a, a bunch of preservation awards. Um, as you know, I went to North Bennett Street in Boston for historic preservation. And so... Uh, you know, a lot of our work in, in, in awards has been in the in the historic preservation category and in that world, whether it's a courthouse we've redone or, you know, we got a Texas Association of Architects. Um, we got some awards from them for craftsmanship. Um, we There's the Staub Awards here in Texas, which is the ICAA. Um, our Texas chapter has which John Staub was a regional architect and um We've won five or six awards, uh, Staub awards for craftsmanship. So, um, yeah, we're blessed. We've got a we've um, a lot of preservation stuff. You mentioned Texas Historical Society and preservation awards. I'm recalling when you and I were at the Texas Historical Society annual conference in Austin a few years ago, and they asked me to talk about the death of craftsmanship. I said, "What?" why the heck would I want to talk about that? That craftsmanship's not dead. You just have to know who to talk to. And I gave you a plug. Remember that? Yeah, I do. And uh, I appreciate it. I thought that that was good. My first, the the book, the first book I wanted to write was called, uh, I wanted to call the death of craftsmanship because I had come from North Bennett street where, you know, the first thing we learned to do there is take old hand planes and get them working again. You're learning how things were built 250 years ago and, you know, then you come into modern times 
Um, and it felt like I was stepping out of one time going into another time and things are so, you know, quickly built, let's go, let's go, let's go fast and cheap that there is a frustration on the, the artisan craftsmanship side of me that feels like we don't, we've lost the art of building. Um, and so, uh, but I, I thought it was refreshing your take on it. Um, because I think it's true. I think they're, um, you know, we, I think we as a society desire craft. I mean, you know, craft beers, craft coffee, uh, you know, craft knife making and all the different kind of crazy maker stuff that's going on right now. I think that um, I think that's who we are as human beings. We, we like to make things and craft and make things beautiful. And so uh, I can get a little bit negative sometimes. So yeah. I, appreciate I you think maybe that. Brett will change the name from the death of craftsmanship to the rebirth of craftsmanship renaissance craftsmanship's renaissance yeah uh have you ever been a, a juror of a design competition yeah i was a uh i was a juror in uh denver for their awards um and uh then emceed their awards probably three or four years ago in my experience presiding over juries there's a deliberation process you narrow down the entrance to call it semi-finalists and then the discussion among the jurists begins. Have you ever been talked into or out of a project that you liked uh, and been influenced by other jurors? Yeah, um, I remember. Uh, you know, there was there was a number of interior design awards, and quite frankly, I just you know there was things that obviously appealed to my eye, but you know to uh, to judge them based on any historic precedent or classical values or, or the things that I would do to judge a house or judge craftsmanship. Uh, I don't know. And so I, I as I said, you're, I, I'm interested in hearing, will you please, you know, elucidate, you know, your comments and what you're seeing and what you're, you know, educate me here. And um, there was a few that I still didn't like, but I understood them better. Um, and I don't know if it changed my mind necessarily. I'm going to, you know, not vote for that, or I am going to vote for that because now I get it, but it, it was fun, uh, seeing other people's perspectives and other people's ideas of what was beautiful. And I think, and I think that's the way those jurors work. I think I was able to do the same thing for, you know, there was a craftsmanship award and the guy basically just put up a bunch of wood and I just said, this is poorly executed. This isn't done very well. And, you know, after I'd said that, I think that they went, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I see it now. And so I think, you know, we all help each other out. We all, you know, have an expertise and then, um, you know, and, and communicate. And, and I think that's the way that works, I think. Would you ever want to judge a modern design competition? Um, cynically, I would like to judge it so that, you know, I could uh, make some snide comments or something. No, I, I like modern stuff, um, but I'm not a huge fan. I'm certainly not educated well enough to be a juror. So I'd probably have to pass on that. Uh, what makes Palladio different from the other competitions? I mean, it's, it's really the only competition that, that celebrates traditional craft and, and, you know, classical design. The only one, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there is another one. And so, um, yeah. No, you're right. Um, Palladio is national. There are several regional award programs uh, produced by the local and regional chapters of the Institute of Classical Architecture and Art, including my chapter, Washington, D.C., Mid-Atlantic, 
John Russell Pope Awards, your chapter, Texas, the Staub Awards. We might, we mentioned Rocky Mountain, the Jacques Benedict Awards. But you're right, um, Palladio is national, and the winners are published in national magazines and you know posted on websites. So when you win an award, do you uncork a bottle of champagne in your conference room and celebrate with your staff? No, um, but I'm not very good at that. I don't like people, Pete. (laughs) I, I, uh, that's why you hide behind the podcast microphone. Yeah. I I think I am, you know, as, as an artisan, uh, I'm trying to build a body of work. I think that if you look at, you know, great artists, the way they're judged is on their body of work, not on an individual award. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, over the span of my career, uh, there are things to look back at and there will be a time to uncork a bottle. Um, but there's still a lot of work to do and there's still a lot of execution to take place. And so I, I, I'm not very good at pausing and stopping and, and I, and I probably should be better at that. So, uh, thank you for guilting me. And that's, that's the mark of a champion, Brad. Um, I once interviewed Jack Nicholas and I asked him about his golf. He happens to be a housing developer as well, which is why we talked to him. Um, so what does it feel like to be the best golfer who ever lived? He said, I don't think about it. I'm just thinking about my next shot, which I thought yeah. was a great, which I thought was a great yeah. answer. Well, okay. So you don't celebrate it in your conference room when you win something, but uh, you must use your craftsmanship Palladio award in some fashion of public relations or promotion. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a YouTube following, um, just went over 25,000 subscribers on that. And, um, we, we get a lot of work from that. So, so I tell people about it there. It's not really a braggagram necessarily as much as a, you know, this is why we, we won. This is, this is the kind of the extra work we went to because we're all trying to build better and things like that. So we've got an Instagram following. And so, you know, We'll, we'll tell our story there. I just don't think newsletters, uh, we've got a small lo- newsletter, but it's not a, you know, we're not going to take an ad out in the paper or anything. Again, it's just, I feel like there's a, you know, who do you want to hire is, is like, who would I want to hire if, if I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, wanting to build a great house or wanting to do some, some project and you, you want someone who's qualified, who's got, who's done it for a long time. has got a lot of expertise. And so, in my mind, it's just all about, you know, uh, building up those accomplishments so that you can provide better service for your for your customers, because we're smarter now than we were 10 years ago. We have more experience. We're doing better things. And so um, our houses are better than they were 10 years ago. And so and I think that's as it should be. And so it seems like stopping to celebrate is, is like we've reached the destination. And I don't think we have. Can you give other craftspeople, designers, or builders, any advice about why and how they should enter design competitions? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, when I was early in my career, five or 10 years into the thing, if I had won a Pilate Award, I probably would have stopped and popped corks and just it was a huge accomplishment. One of the things is, and I remember reading early on, enter competitions, right? There, there's a skill to it. And there's people that do beautiful presentations. And then others you're looking at going, I don't even know what the guy did. And so, you know, we, we, when we were in Denver, we, there was 
two or three projects that were just incomprehensible. And so I, uh, the first thing is that learning to communicate in the format of that these, that, that a jury can read it and understand what's going on. Um, that's a skill set that should be practiced. And so, you know, I remember one of the craftsmen guys was really upset. I saw him at the awards thing that they hadn't won. And um, he just hadn't presented in a way that, that made it comprehensible. So my advice is practice, right? I remember early on in my career, I entered a remodeling competition uh, for some house that we had done uh, as remodeling magazine. And so I, I uh, didn't hear anything and then looked at the winners and was, you know, it was a lot of modern stuff, which is maybe why I have a chip in my shoulder about modern stuff. But the, you know, it was, they didn't get the level of, of, of quality and execution that we were doing and they didn't get traditional stuff. Another reason why your Pilates awards are so important is that the juries that sit on some of these, you know, builder and remodeling awards things are all modernists. And so that's the only thing they appreciate. And so um, the level of execution and craft that happens on the traditional side, I think is higher than it is on the modern side, a little bit of a side, but anyway, um, practice, you know, um, find your lane. It's just the same thing as when you write articles for magazine, read the magazine for a while, make sure you, you know, know the audience and everything else before you submit an article. Um, so you're, so you're learning, you know, what, what's going on there. Great pictures really matter. Um, clear, a clear narrative explaining what you did and what you didn't do. Um, when we've entered Stab Awards before that and haven't won, um, we have sometimes repackaged some of those uh, projects and then communicated differently. One of the feedbacks we got is that they didn't really know what we had made and what we hadn't made. They looked like pretty pictures. And so we ended up including a lot more shop drawings of our projects. We ended up including a lot more hand-drafted things, showing pro uh, projects in process. Sometimes, you know, to see the drawing and see the finished thing, they don't understand how much work went into it. So... I mean, all of those things would be my advice. Uh, your advice is spot on. Um, last question. This is a, a, a softball. We talked about your timber frame window for which you won the Palladio this year, but you didn't touch on the 100-year window very much. So just in 25 words or less, what's the 100-year window? It was in that craftsmanship award winner. Yeah, the quick the quick thing is is that you know because we do a lot of historic preservation work, we are taking courthouses, schools, depots, taking the windows out of these buildings, restoring them, and putting them back in. They're a hundred year windows that you know are will last another fifty to hundred years. On the building side, we are putting in production windows into our jobs, and you know, 10, 15 years later, they were rotting out, and we were you know why can't we build a window that lasts a hundred years anymore? Wood is obviously a big component of that. And so we started about a year and a half ago, uh, the 100-year window, which is a traditional window, weight and pulley, traditional weather stripping. But through the testing that we've done over the last 30 years, through the, the understanding of wood and, and how it's going to work, putty glazing, we only use single pane glass. I know that might be a killer for some of it, but there are some ways to work around single pane glass. The problem is, how can I put insulated glass in a 100-year window when I only know the insulated glass is only going to last 15 to 20 years? So I can't provide a 100-year window if the glass is going to fail. So um, we overcome that with interior or exterior storms, um, and there's other ways to build those. So in any case, we are uh, 
producing and building these 100 year windows, having a really, really great response from people. You know, the, we get requests every week for uh, us to quote things. Uh, it's an exciting product and we're, we're loving it. Well, whether you're framing a window with historic timbers or making the window itself, it's clear from our conversation today, Brent, that you approach everything with the mind of a craftsperson. Craftsmanship prevails. Things well made last. And after all, durability is sustainable. 100%. Pete, thanks for having me. I really admire everything you guys are doing and uh, admire you as a friend. And so I appreciate you including me. I'm Pete Miller, and you're listening to Building Tradition, brought to you by Traditional Building Magazine. Subscribe on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you.